Psalm 126. We continue through the Song of Degrees. And this is a psalm of relief. Um, uh, the fear is finally gone. The enemy is defeated. Uh, it's kind of the same relief that we can receive and feel when uh, sin is conquered. That weight of sin gets removed off of us. It's a very similar, it should be, and can be a very similar feeling to that as well. And uh, we come into this psalm, I don't know exactly when it was written uh, or even who was the human uh, penner of this psalm. But look with me, if you will, in verse number one, it says, When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. And they, and uh, excuse me, then said they among the heathen, the, the Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Those last two verses might be more familiar to you than the other verses. When we hear these, these phrases of they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. Him that goeth forth weeping. Uh, bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing the sheaves with him. And we'll look at those verses at the end uh, there. But we kind of look at, at, I've got four points, but um, three of them is kind of coming from the human aspect. And then the last, uh, the last two are more from the reply from God uh, to the human prayer or the human conversation with them as well. So first of all, we see rea the reality uh, of the situation here. And we see deliverance in verse number one, uh, talking about the Lord turning again the captivity of Zion. Uh, so uh, releasing them out of captivity. And then the delight that came with that, verse number two, then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue was singing. So this, again, talking about the psalm of relief where this, uh, uh, the captivity was, uh, was upon them, this uh, um, lifestyle of slavery and all these sorts of things. And they've been released from that. So the relief that is with them, it says, we were like them that dream. The reality of it wasn't really fully hitting them yet. Uh, this, is such, this is so neat, such a great experience. It's, it's like we're dreaming. Um, have you ever been there before, been in a situation where you said, I feel like I'm dreaming? That's what Katie said first time she saw me. Um, I feel like I'm dreaming. Uh, wake me up. Uh, but the... <laughs> The reality of the situation it took a little while for it to set in. This is, uh, and when it did in verse 2 was this just great joy that overcame them. Their mouth was filled with laughter and their tongue was singing. And we just see this excitement that came as a result of their new reality that they had been delivered. The second part is the, the reaction that happened. And we see two different reactions. The first one is the reaction of the wicked. Uh, there in verse number uh, 2, it says... Uh, in the middle of the verse, then said they among the heathen, the Lord hath done great things for them. There are few uh, things in life more enjoyable than for the wicked uh, to look at you and say, boy, God's really done something good for you. Um, I say the wicked, we're all wicked, but I think, I think you understand what I mean by that. But to have a, a non-God non follower a non-God worshiper, a non-God believer maybe to some degrees, look at you and say, man, whatever you're doing is working. 
you know, if they, if they know you're a Christian, they know that you pray, they know that you, you've given them advice about things when, they talk, when you, you talk to them about God and things like that, and they see your life and they go, man, your God's being good to you. And that's what, what was happening, right? The, the heathen looked and they said, your God has done great things for you. This is what makes revival turn into evangelism. Revival is a Christian term. It's a reviving. It's a bringing back to life. And the revival of Christians turns into a, what we think of nowadays in revival, into evangelism when the world sees what God is doing in your life. As God revives you, the opportunity comes for evangelism to share the gospel with other people. And when they see how your life has changed, uh, how your life is better, how your life is being rewarded, how your life is blessed, then they go, man, your God's doing something great for you. And that's where the evangelism door just gets busted wide open. You know what? Yes, he is. Let me tell you why. <laughs> right? And opens up that conversation. And we see not just the wicked's reaction, but God's people's reaction as well in verse number three, uh, when it says, the Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Being with God, being declared righteous, now that we have, uh, are, are with God, uh, having the power to make Satan run from us. Uh, you know, the Bible says, submit yourselves unto God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Having that power because of God, we don't have it on our, on our own selves, but because of God having that, that power, we just see this, this uh, joy that comes as a, as a result of it. And it's all related to God being with us. It's all related to God walking with us, to God providing for us, to God protecting us along the way. And to see here in verse number two that the heathen recognize God has done great things for them. But you know how many times do other people go, man, God's being really good to them. And yet that person doesn't realize it themselves. Have you ever met someone like that? Have you ever been that person? Man, where other people look and go, man, God's really blessing. And that person is still just miserable, and grumpy, and all these kinds of things. So it's not just important that the heathen understand it. You've got to understand it too. And it says there in verse 3, the Lord has done great things for us. It's the recognition and the reaction here of God's people. Then comes a request in verse number four. This is the third thing tonight. The request in verse number four where he says, Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Uh, the word streams here in the uh, original language means torrents. Uh, so the idea of powerful, majestic, moving water. God uses the picture of water so many times throughout Scripture. Um, and and to, to hear this request from, from one of God's people to say, Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Bring that power. Bring that uh, majesticness. Bring this moving movement through us. Uh, moving through them. Revival, ultimately, here. It's the idea of in the past you have turned uh, our captivity and we rejoice. Lord, do it again as the streams in the south make it a powerful movement through us. And that's something that a lot of times, is, I, I don't know, I feel like as Christians sometimes we have this fear of the movement of God. Fear of what it means for our life. Well, if God moves in my life, what does that mean? What will I 
have to do as a result of God moving in my life? Will I have to give up things? Will I have to move? Will I have to change? What Those kinds of things scare some people. You know what? If you've been around rushing water, it's scary. When you, when you recognize the power uh, of, you know, when we've had those major rains and the river is just, just gushing, I mean, just moving at all kinds of speed, it's scary, especially if you get close to it and realize, man, this is actually dangerous. I remember as a young kid, I don't know, maybe eight years old, we went to the Grand Canyon for the first time, and they have the IMAX at the Grand Canyon. And, uh, and the IMAX, it's kind of terrifying, to be honest with you, but at least it was back then. I haven't seen it since then. But um, they, they act like you're in a helicopter, so they are flying you around in this helicopter. So if you get sick, usually it would happen. But, and then I come over the, the Grand Canyon and then dive down. Next thing you know, you're in a raft on the Colorado River, is that what that is? Uh, going on the raft and all this kind of stuff. And just the, the power on the IMAX of the river, I still remember, I can still visualize it in my mind of just the, the, I say waves, I guess not waves, but the current pushing the water and splashing up against the rocks and all this kinds of stuff as well. Um, and so you understand that idea of powerful movement. And that's what he's asking for. God, give us a powerful movement. So what does God have to say about that? Uh, obviously, God likes to move. God likes to move people. God likes to work in people's lives. And so his response in verse number five is, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. The cost for revival is high. The cost for a movement of God, it, it, it's expensive. You know, we think about the things of God and we think about some of the, the simplicity of God in many ways, to live for God. Honestly, when you, think of, when you think through the things in most cases that God desires for, when you talk about humility, uh, you talk about love, you talk about giving, all those kinds of things, it doesn't really promote a wealthy lifestyle. It's not to say that you can't be wealthy and godly. Uh, but a lot of those things kind of bring you down down more than raise you up, right? The, uh, the lower you are, the more God not recognizes you, but I think you understand what I'm trying to say. The more humble you are, the more lifted up you are by God. And so he says, you're asking for this movement of God, this deliverance again. He says, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. There's a time for weeping. The first part of verse 6 says, He that goeth forth and weepeth. Um, you know, the older I get, the more I cry. I don't know why that is, but uh, it, it doesn't take much now to get to a tear flowing in my eye. And uh, I'm dreading senior night at basketball when they bring all the seniors out with their parents and they read off these little things that the senior has to say and their parents have to say, and I'm supposed to stand there and take a picture with these guys. And I just, I'm, I'm dreading it already because I know I'm going to cry. You know, that's just the way it's going to happen. And uh, it has nothing to do with me whatsoever. I just met these guys last year. Like, I, you know, I'm, not, I'm, I'm tied to them now, and I, I love them to death, and I'm invested in them, but I shouldn't be crying about this stuff, but I'm going through it. Anyways, there is a time for weeping. There was a young Scottish preacher, and he was feeling that his congregation was a little apathetic, kind of uh, just not really, not a whole lot of, we talked about on Sunday where God met with us. Not a whole lot of that going on in their church. And so uh, since he didn't see God moving in his people, he decided to visit a church where uh, Robert McShane used to preach. McShane uh, was used by God to bring a revival in Scotland, a massive revival in Scotland. And so this young preacher walked into the church, and he asked the current preacher that was there, 
He said, what was the secret to the amazing influence McShane had? And the man said, sit down here. And he did. He said, now put your elbows on the table. And he did. He said, now put your face in your hands. And he did. He said, now let the tears flow. That was the way McShane used to do it. He had a burden. He had a legit burden for the people whom he was preaching the gospel to and whom he was trying to reach and for his country as well. And so Robert McShane, who God used to, use to spread revival around Scotland, at least to those that were close to him, said, if you're looking for the influence, what influenced him, do this. Sit here, put your hands in your face in your hands and cry. Because that's what he used to do. Now, you can't fake tears, right? I remember reading about John Rice, um, and he was preaching, and he was known for crying a lot in his messages, getting very emotional in his, in his messages. And he was uh, still relatively young in his ministry, and, and, uh, and he was kind of embarrassed by the fact that he cried a lot. And so he prayed, and he asked God to dry his tears, to stop. No, Lord, don't let me cry. It's embarrassing. And so God granted him that request. And as he continued to preach the next several days, things didn't happen like it used to happen. People didn't come forward like they were coming forward before and all these sorts of things. And, and, uh, and I, I read that Dr. Rice said, you know, prayed and said, Lord, bring, bring back the tears. Um, now listen, again, crying isn't the answer. Uh, the idea behind this is the, the true heart, right? We've been talking about the heart, the heart, the heart. Having a heart for people, having a heart to see people change, to see people help, to see people saved, to see people growing, all those sorts of things. It's just a simple burden for people. And that's what it comes down to. He says, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. These people, you know, uh, some of them had to go through and you know, look through the history of Israel and the captivities and things like that. It wasn't a joyful time being in captivity. So you can look at it and say, well, you might have to experience some hardships to get through the valley, so to say, to the mountaintop, whatever it may be. But ultimately, a burden for people. He says there in verse 6, he that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed. Uh, to be able to go and, and, and through a burdened heart, uh, plant that precious seed. Uh, and we're talking about the gospel. Going out planting, you know, it's uh, a lot of people, you know, well, it depends, I guess, on their background. But if they ask, well, you know, well, what happens if they don't, if they don't receive the message I give them? What if I go to someone, share the gospel with them, and they, they punch me in the face and say, get off my property. Or they slam the door in my face. Or you know, if a family member, you know, gets mad at me for trying to share the gospel with them. And, you know, at the end of the day, God... Throughout scripture tells us our job is to plant. Our job is to go out and spread, spread the seed as far as we can, as wide as we can, to as many people as we can. And God says, I'll take care of the rest. And my dad has always taught me that obedience to God doesn't always bring you the fruit you expect, but it always brings you fruit. Uh, you can go and share the gospel with one person. They can, they can reject you tearing you down, they can whatever, but because you are faithful to do so, God might bring someone else along that is ready to be saved. And they get saved, whether it's they come to church. It might have really have nothing to do in your mind with you, but God giving you the fruit for your labor because you were faithful to do so. Our job is not to, 
uh, uh, you know, what is it in um, is it Ephesians? No, somewhere in the New Testament, one of the epistles talks about uh, one person uh, plants and one person waters and one person uh, reaps. And so, you know, there's God just says, you're just supposed to go out and do your job. And if you'll do what you're supposed to do, I'll take care of the rest. I'll bless, I'll bring forth the fruit. And he tells us there in verse number six that there is a time for reaping. Uh, he says, he that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless, unequivocally, right, come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. It's, it's the same truth that we've heard as kids. If you sow, or what you sow, you'll reap. If you don't sow, you're not going to reap. But if you will, if you'll have a burden for people, and you'll go out and do what you're supposed to do, you'll doubtless come again with rejoicing and bringing your sheaves with you. And that's a, that's a promise from God. And you know, it's, it's funny as we think through the promises of God, and I tell you what, it seems like oftentimes we don't, we hear that term and that phrase, but if God promises, it's true. And so the question is then, well, why haven't I seen results? And listen, I, I don't mean to uh, I'll be careful with that because, you know, we read of what is it, Hudson Taylor that spent years and years and years and years and years and didn't see a soul saved for so many years. Other missionaries went and never saw a soul saved, but the ministry that they started ended up being hugely blessed of God. And so I don't mean to, to give you uh, any false advice or any false teaching that tells you um, I 100% that if you go out and share the gospel today, that today you'll see someone saved. That's, that's not what I mean by that. But God says that if you'll go out weeping, uh, burdened, bearing precious seed, you'll doubtless come again with rejoicing. It could be as simple as, as when we stand before God and God saying, because you obeyed, because you had a burden, because you prayed, because you shared the gospel, here's the fruit you didn't realize you had. Uh, Douglas in Indiana, he's uh, an interesting guy, but uh, he's faithful with gospel tracts. Puts them everywhere he goes. And he's fi finally, years and years later, found out people um, who asked him, hey, are you the guy who leaves those little booklets? Uh, he fixes you know, uh, equipment. So are you the guy who leaves these little booklets in the, in the trucks? And he goes, yeah. And the guy told him years ago, I picked one up and read it, and, and I put my faith in Christ. And, and, you know, now he found out about it, and I'm sure there were other people as well, but sometimes we just obey, and then when we come again rejoicing, it might be when we come again before God, and God tells us, hey, look at this. This is fruit from your labor. And it'll be much more enjoyable, by the way, when God's standing next to you telling you, here's the reward. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's going to feel a lot better than anybody on this earth patting you on the back and saying, boy, you did a great job. You know, and that's what sometimes we, we look for other people to give us that pat on the back for handing out gospel tracts or, uh, or sharing the gospel with someone and things like that. But it's going to feel a whole lot better when God does it. And I believe uh, a lot of that comes down to that. We, we will come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. It's going to be when God rewards us there. Uh, as we stand before him as well. So uh, a psalm of relief, so much relief that can be found by just simple obedience to God uh, and, and to be able to have that. You know, when, like I said, when sin is conquered, we should have relief. Uh, we battle sin, things like that, and we say, God, I need a movement of you in my life to, to, to wash away this sin. 
when God does it, that should bring great relief and to understand um, I have to be burdened for my own sin, right? Not just the sin of other people. I should be burdened about my sin. When I'm sinning, I should feel it. There should be a burden there. And, uh, and when I truly come before God, you look at David uh, as he comes before God once he's confronted by Nathan uh, about his sin with Bathsheba. You can see and hear David's heart as you read through his prayer. Um, and with that comes, comes rejoicing. Uh, even though there's some pain in that, right? Pain and discipline, but uh, he still came, came forth rejoicing. So uh, may that be an encouragement to us tonight. All right, let's take out our prayer lists if you got them. I don't know where mine is. Can you run back and grab me one? It's on the, on the table in the back. I'm not sure where mine went off to. Hurry up, bud. Brad, you can go turn off the recording. I did. They're back there. You weren't here last week. You skipped church like a heathen. <laughs>